Hello, welcome to Adapt, episode 22, which is brought to you by Pingdom and Sanebox. My name is Ryan Christoffel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Federico Vatici. How are you doing, Federico? Hello, Ryan. I am good. How are you? I'm hanging in there, hanging in there. A lot going on in the world. Mm. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> there has been a lot going on in the iPad world lately to distract yes. us from what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, we happen to, you know, unfortunately record our last episode right before Apple <laughs> announced uh, a new iPad Pro mm-hmm. and proper cursor support, mouse and trackpad support in iPad OS, which is available now, believe it or not. It is shipped in iPad OS 13.4. So normally we would have talked about that last time, but we had recorded right before that. So we've had to wait a couple weeks, but I guess we've got more things we've been able to digest, uh, we've been able to use, and so we hopefully will have a more informed discussion of those things today. Who would have thought two weeks ago that <laughs> in the next episode of the show, we would have a new iPad Pro, the news of an upcoming Magic Keyboard, and actual shipping right now, uh, pointer integration in iPadOS without having to wait for version 14 at WWDC. Like I would, I would have said, or oh, maybe Apple is working on this stuff, but it's going to come at WWDC and it's going to launch in September. But nope, it's, it just took them a single GM release of 13.4 and then a public release and it's done and it's out and it's available. There's new developer APIs for uh, app developers and that's it. They're done. They did it. <laughs> it shipped. So I would have I would have never imagined that two weeks ago, honestly. Yeah, certainly not in the middle of a pandemic with everything going on right now. <laughs> exactly. There's also that. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so a lot has happened. It's it's exciting. We're going to talk about it. I guess one other thing adding to the list of, you know, who would have thought is that I currently, I don't know about you, but I currently have an unopened iPad Pro 2020 sitting on my kitchen table that I'm not planning to open because I'm planning to return it because there's so little that has changed with this version, which mm, is kind of kind of odd. Um, and we're not going to rehash everything. Uh, generally speaking, Apple has shipped an iPad Pro that is largely the same as the last version. The biggest difference is an updated camera system. There's now two cameras. One is ultra-wide just like the iPhone 11. And there's a LiDAR sensor, which is for improved AR. And then there's some other small changes, uh, you know, support for Wi-Fi 6. Um, I think there's an extra LTE band. There's, you know, some really, really minor updates. But for the most part, it's largely the same, which is kind of, I, I don't know, it's strange for an iPad update. Um, we, especially since it's it's been a year and a half, it's not like, oh, Apple shipped the last iPad less than a year ago, and here's another update. I mean, Apple has done that once, as far as I can remember, in iPad history, shipping two different iPads in the same year. Um, but here's a new version that's mostly the same, and there's all kinds of you know theories as to why ship this iPad, especially with rumors that there's a newer one coming maybe later this year. Um, maybe early next year, but uh, I don't know. What What do you think of all that, Federico? First of all, you know, have you purchased one of these iPads, or are you sticking with your 2018 model? And then, why do you think that Apple did this? Why release this iPad now? Well, uh, it's interesting. So we talked about this on Connected last week. Um, 
I wouldn't even call this a, um, a speed bump updating that. I, I don't think this iPad Pro necess- is necessarily faster than the 2018 um, model. It's a spec bump in the sense that um, there's a new camera hardware, as you mentioned, and the and the the system on a chip has an extra GPU core. But by and large, I think Apple wanted to release this iPad for two reasons. One, it's kind of obvious because it was ready. Um, because they, you know, for whatever reason, they they had this new version ready. And and I think there's also the fact that I think it's important for Apple, maybe they think it's important to release this new camera sensor, this lighter sensor for augmented reality. I do believe that um the lighter sensor and you know the time of flight sensor in the in the back of the device and the AR kit 3.5, I have to believe that Apple thinks they're a big deal, but they will be a much bigger deal when they are available on the iPhone, supposedly later this year. So I think there's also we we need to factor in the fact that right now developers can start testing. Uh, ARK 3.5 and the lighter sensor on the iPad Pro right now, instead of having to wait for a simulator at WWDC or just the final iPhone iPhone hardware in September. So those who want to work with, uh, want to create ARK more, much more capable ARK apps right now, they can get an iPad Pro they can get the hardware and they can they can build these experiences that will take advantage of a you know much much faster performance in terms of like mapping out uh, a scene in the real world with the camera uh now is that enough to justify releasing a new iPad Pro that doesn't really have that many differences from the 2018 model i don't know uh like i said uh it's definitely one of the strangest um, update cycles that I've seen. Like the 2018 iPad Pro launched, uh, what was that? Uh, 16, 15 months ago at this point. So usually, uh, you know, after that kind of uh, time period, usually the next version of an iPad has more new features, has more differences from the older one. Um, And I think that Apple is very much aware of the fact that a bunch of people like me will not buy this model. That is why I think the, you know, the the thing that everybody's talking about right now in terms of like in the iPad community is not necessarily the new iPad Pro, which reviewed favorably, even though all the reviewers basically said, get this iPad Pro. If you didn't get an iPad Pro in 2018, so that we should also note that, that not everybody bought an iPad Pro in 2018. So if you're someone with a 2017 or 2015 iPad Pro, this is a great time to upgrade and get the 2020 model. But I think Apple is aware of, of the fact that folks who purchased an iPad Pro in 2018 are not going to upgrade right now. And that is why everybody's talking about the Magic Keyboard and the fact that it's going to be backward compatible with the 2018 iPad Pro. So in a way, even though we're not purchasing, you know, even though people like me are not purchasing an iPad Pro 2020 model, we are still going to spend $350 on a keyboard, which when you think about it, is kind of like purchasing a base model iPad. <laughs> it's basically the same price of a, of a regular iPad, but just for a keyboard. 
So Apple is, you know, making money off of those customers when you think about it. Also, and I forgot to mention this a few minutes ago, right now it's impossible to tell because um, what I'm about to say does not apply to uh, to iPadOS 13.4, but all these iPad Pros, the 2020 models, they have 6 gigs of RAM. In 2018, only the one terabyte version, which I bought, offered those two extra gigabytes of RAM. In 2018, every other iPad Pro model had four gigs of RAM. The one terabyte version had six six gigs of RAM. Now, they all do. All iPad Pro 2020 models have six gigabytes of RAM. What does this mean right now? I don't know. I you know, we cannot tell. Will the will it have any meaning in terms of uh, will there be features in iPadOS 14 that will be exclusive to the iPad Pro 2020? Again, I don't know. It, it's kind of fun to speculate about it. I would be pretty upset, honestly, if Apple releases features that are already exclusive to the new iPad Pro, even though my one terabyte 2018 model has basically the same specs <laughs> as the 2021. That would be kind of amusing if they do. But um, these are all the reasons I can think about for now. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a clever decision on Apple's side to say, well, if you have an older iPad Pro, this is the best one, the, like the new best version of it you can buy. But if you're also one of the 2018 customers, and you don't feel compelled to upgrade right now, well, we're still going to likely, very likely, make $350 from you because you're interested in that Magic Keyboard coming out in May. So it's kind of weird in terms of, like, uh, if you look at the historical patterns, I think it's a weird update cycle, but I think they also made a clever decision in, in making the Magic Keyboard compatible with the older version. Yeah, I'm really thankful that they did because that is the most compelling change to, I, I would imagine, just about anyone, unless someone's just really enthusiastic about AR, the fact that you have this magic keyboard with, yes, backlighting, yes, an adjustable viewing angle, but most importantly, a built-in trackpad and the fantastic you know support for trackpads in iPadOS now, that, that is the reason to get an iPad if you don't have one already and you know those of us with the 2018 model we yes it's you know it still costs something to buy that keyboard and we can't get it just yet but it's really nice that we don't have to splurge for a whole new model just to get the keyboard support and it really seems like from apple's standpoint they knew that they were going to ship you know the mouse and trackpad support they knew they were going to have this magic keyboard that's ready and if they just release those things without a new ipad model I could see a lot of people kind of holding off because they think, oh, well, the, the, the latest model is 2018. I probably shouldn't buy one because, you know, it'll probably get replaced before too long. And so now that there's a 2020 model, people can feel good about getting that if they didn't have a more modern iPad Pro already. So I think it's good moves all around. It's just odd for sure. And it'll probably make more sense maybe a year from now as we look back and see Maybe there is some feature that's exclusive to the 2020 models or at least exclusive to having six gigs of RAM. Maybe, you know, the timeline for whatever the next generation of iPad Pro is, is not, you know, it's not coming along as quickly as Apple hoped, perhaps. And so we might have to wait longer than this fall to see that. Um, Who knows? We'll find out in a year or so. But Mm -hmm. until then, 
for now, we get to benefit from this great mouse and trackpad support in iPadOS. And then hopefully, you know, before too long, it's April now. So May is not too far away. Mm. Uh, we get to play with that magic keyboard. But let's talk about the mouse and uh, hold on, a, Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Okay, okay. Can you explain to me why you bought one and then it's sitting unopened well, in your house right now? Okay. I... I I'm I'm guessing some of our listeners can relate to this, but mm. I I think I have this problem where Apple releases a new product, okay, and assuming that it's not a Mac, which sorry, apologies to the Mac people. <laughs> wow, um, that that was that was low. Um, <laughs> assuming that it's not a Mac, I I have this natural impulse to press the buy button. Oh, the rush to get yeah, I get it. Okay, you know, and so and and so. I'd actually tried to get better about that over the last year or so, where before it's like, oh, there's this new product. I don't really know anything about it yet, but it might sell out very soon. And so I need to order it. With the uh, AirPods Pro last fall, that was a product where initially mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'm not going to buy this. Um, it's not really for me. I'm really happy with the normal AirPods. And so I waited until I read about it. And then after reading about the product, I ordered it and it was back ordered. Mm-hmm. And so I, I ended up going to the store on day one and getting them and it worked out. But but that kind of taught me, oh, you know what? You should probably just order the product and then read about it. And then you can return it if it turns out you're not going to use it. Um, so that kind of is what I plan to do with this iPad. I didn't read about it, but I'm like, oh, new iPad Pro, might as well order it and decide later. You know, I'll have a couple weeks to test it. Apple has a good return policy. Um, But then after reading about it, I'm like, I'm not even going to open this. There's not even a point. Uh, There's nothing, you know, with AR stuff that I'm really interested in. And so, so that's kind of that, that's the problem that I have, which I hope some listeners can relate to. And I'm not alone in this, but, uh, you know, didn't want it to sell out and be left without an iPad on day one if it were a really compelling product. So no, I get it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, thankfully, like usually I'm that way too. But thankfully, like I was, because I was in charge of writing about it, um, I was focusing on on getting my overview finished. And then the more I read, the more I realized, you know, this is actually not that different from the iPad that I also have. So I'm probably gonna skip this one. Um, but yeah. Anyway, um, we do have, so the Magic Keyboard is coming out in May. We don't have a date yet. So whenever Apple gives you a month, usually the rule of thumb is to assume it's going to be May 30th, like the very last day of the month. Yeah, 31st uh, in this case, which is my birthday. 31st. So on one hand, it's like that would be okay, but May 1st would be a little better. Yeah, because, yeah, that would be like less than four weeks at this point otherwise it's going to be two months which is much much longer and i really want to get my hands on that magic keyboard but until that happens ryan we do have native pointer support in ipadOS 13.4 and it works right now with any usb or bluetooth mouse and it even comes with additional features if you have the multi-touch enabled magic mouse 2 and magic trackpad 2 I do have a Magic Trackpad 2 that I was using with my Mac Mini. Now I sort of swapped the devices that I'm using. I'm now using the mouse 
that used to be paired with my iPad Pro, the Logitech MX Master 3. I'm now using that with the Mac and the Magic Trackpad 2 I'm using with the iPad Pro. So sort of switch things around a little, a little bit because I wanted to test it. I wanted to see what it was like with the multi-touch gestures and the pointer. And Ryan, let me tell you, I am extremely impressed by this new system. Have you played around with it much? I have not been able to play around with it at all because I hmm. don't have a compatible accessory. I, I've, I've come close, and I think I told you this already, I've come close several times to ordering a Magic Trackpad just so that I could use it um, right now and not have to wait until May when the Magic Keyboard comes out but I've held off for now. And so I haven't been able to use it at all, which uh, is, is tough, but um, it certainly looks good from what I've seen and what I've read. And yeah, from what you've shared, it, it sounds really well done. And so, mm. yeah, what, what has Apple done here to, to do more than just, you know, add like a Mac-like cursor to the iPad? Okay, so... I'm working on a story uh, for the for Mac stories that will be published later this week as part of the special iPad at 10 anniversary series that we're doing this week at the site. And I believe, Ryan, that between my story and the discussion we're going to have here, I think I will be able to convince you to get a Magic Trackpad before the Magic Keyboard because it, it really is that good. Even, you know, even if it's not the, the hot new accessory, uh, it's an existing one, but the integration with the system is so well done that I really think you will like it. Still, let me explain. So, the pointer in iPadOS 13.4 is different from the traditional cursor from the Mac. It's similar in a bunch of ways, but it also is very much different. So, the, the first thing to keep in mind is that in iPadOS 13.4, the pointer is not a fixed element. And by that, I mean two different, um, two different things. So, first of all, the pointer only appears, of course, when a compatible device is connected to the iPad Pro, but also it only appears on screen as a tiny floating circle, looks like a dot, when you actually move it. So, if you move your finger on the trackpad, or if you move the magic mouse, or any other mouse or trackpad, the pointer will appear, and by default, it'll disappear again after two seconds. So this is different from the Mac, where the arrow cursor or other cursors are always shown, even if you don't, you know, they don't disappear after a period of inactivity. It does, the pointer does disappear on iPadOS. You can configure these settings, but we'll talk about that later. The other difference is that the pointer in iPadOS it's called an adaptive pointer by Apple. So Apple has a bunch of uh, documentation about this. There's a, there's a really good um, documentation page in the Apple uh, Human Interface Guidelines that I recommend reading if you're curious about Apple's, uh, you know, how Apple explains the pointer and its various permutations. Um, by, adaptive, by adaptive pointer, um, Apple means that the pointer itself, by default, again, is a circle but it can transform into different, it can gain different shapes and different functions depending on the, your actions and depending on the content underneath the pointer. So the first clarification that I think we need to make here is that this pointer, the native pointer in iPadOS 
is a completely new feature that is entirely separate from the assistive touch accessibility integration that we talked about last year with USB and Bluetooth mice and trackpads. That was an accessibility feature that allowed you to have a floating cursor on screen to perform certain actions, such as, such as uh, left clicks and right clicks, via an accessibility feature. That was part of the assistive touch framework, and it was not a native pointer. It was a sort of like a virtual replica of your finger. The native pointer in iPadOS 13.4 is not an accessibility feature, and it's deeply integrated with the iPadOS UI, with the UIKit framework, which is the framework that developers use to create interfaces. Um, the I guess there's a bunch of, like, I don't want to get into the, the nitty-gritty of all the technical aspects of it, but basically what you got to understand is that the pointer can interact with any element, any part of the iPad UI can be controlled from the pointer. You can show control center, you can put apps in split view, you can interact with the home indicator, you can open notifications, you can open the app switcher. There are no areas of the iPad UI, or maybe there's one exception, like when you need to confirm uh, purchases on the App Store, you still need to double-click the side button uh, because, you know, that's an authentication thing. But there are no other aspects of the iPad UI that you cannot control with the pointer. Because of this, the pointer has support for something that the accessibility cursor last year did not have, which is the idea of hover state. You can hover with this pointer over certain elements like buttons in, in, in a toolbar or um, an icon on the home screen or a particular menu in a, in a specific app. And it's possible that the, content, that the content underneath will react to the pointer because it knows that a pointer is above it. So for example, uh, if you open mail and you hover with the pointer over the archive button in the mail toolbar, the icon will be highlighted, it'll, it'll gain this subtle parallax effect, and the pointer, you will see that it will snap to that button. And this is the second major difference from the, the macOS pointer. The iPadOS pointer, in addition to being ad, an adaptive one, so when it snaps to certain elements, it becomes a highlight tool. If you hover over a text field, it becomes an insertion point. In the latest updates for the iWork apps, for example, if you want to resize an image or a cell, it becomes this uh, specific resize tool with two arrows. In addition to that, the pointer is also a magnetic pointer. So Apple talks about this in the... In the uh, they have this term, uh, this expression, um, pointer magnetism. And the idea would be that to simplify interactions with the iPad UI when using a a mouse or a trackpad. The pointer can be sort of like magnetically attract to certain elements so that when you're scrolling nearby a toolbar button, the pointer will automatically attach to that button. And it's the idea that the iPadOS analyzes your interactions with the UI, with the pointer, and if you become sort of close to an element, 
that can be interacted with. The pointer wall, sort of the blob of you know, the, the, the floating circle will automatically expand and highlight a nearby UI element. Now, all of these features, like the fact that the pointer is magnetically attracted to certain UI elements, and the animations, and the inertia required to detach the pointer from these buttons, all of these things are configurable. They are on by default. And I think that's a, that, that's a good decision on Apple's side. Because using this pointer, so I've been testing, as I mentioned, the Magic Trackpad 2 with my iPad Pro and my, and my external ultra-fine 4K display. And I can tell you, Ryan, that this pointer integration has completely changed the way that I can work with my iPad Pro at a desk if and if I'm not connected to an external display. To the point where it's so good, I've been using the trackpad even when I'm just using the iPad Pro with my, with my smart keyboard, without an external display. Even in that case, I, I, I like that I can keep the trackpad to the right side of the keyboard and just interact with the iPad, iPadOS UI using the pointer. It really is that good and that comprehensive. Um, as I mentioned, there's a bunch of options. If you don't like this default behavior, that the pointer automatically attaches to certain bun buttons and changes shape. And you see these little animations, right? When the pointer is hovering over a button, um, you see these animations like this parallax effect. If you don't like this, all these options, these default options, you can disable them. And you can go to a couple of different places in, in iPadOS, which is slightly confusing. And I wish that Apple would bring all these settings in a single page. But, you know, that's what it is right now. So if you go to settings, general, trackpad and mouse, you will see the options to um, choose whether or not you want to use natural scrolling. So this will be the same scrolling method that Apple has on, on macOS with, for trackpads and mice. And you can also configure the secondary click and the right click. By default, the Magic Trackpad supports right-clicking uh, with two fingers, just like on the Mac. It works right away. You can also go to Accessibility Pointer Control, which is a new page, uh, also in iPadOS 13.4. And you can customize uh, additional aspects of the pointer, like the size, the color, the contrast. You can disable the animation. You can tweak the, the inertia required to move the pointer away. And you can also tweak the scrolling speed of the pointer on screen. Now, in addition to just selecting things and hovering over UI elements, which again, these were not these things were not possible last year with the accessibility cursor, with the assistive touch cursor. Uh, certain parts of the UI could not be interacted with at all using the accessibility cursor, and there was no support for hovering over stuff, like none at all. In addition to this, Apple also baked in support for context menus. So when you're using a trackpad or a mouse and you right-click, on, a, on an element that usually, if you were using an iPad with touch, would show you a context menu with a long press. A right click is by default mapped to showing you the context menu, but the context menu comes up immediately with no weight required, and it doesn't show you the preview that is usually associated with like a link or an email message. It just shows you the actions for that context menu. So once again, if you tried last year to map, for example, a right click 
to a long press in accessibility to sort of fake your way around having a right-click context menu with a mouse, this is so much better because it's so much faster, it happens immediately, you don't have to wait for this fake long press gesture to happen. Are you with me so far, Ryan? Yeah, I'm okay. jealous. <laughs> hold on, hold on, because I'm not done. Now, in addition to clicks, hovering, right clicks and context menus, the Magic Mouse 2, and especially the Magic Trackpad 2, because it's so much bigger and so much more comfortable to use, they also support multi-touch gestures to navigate around the iPadOS UI. And there are many of them. Apple has actually a, a new section of the iPadOS feature page that shows you all these different gestures. But to give you a quick rundown, um, you can uh, swipe up with three fingers quickly to go back to the home screen. You can, again, three fingers swipe up and pause to open the app switcher. So these are basically similar to swiping quickly on the home indicator to go back home or swipe and hold to open the app switcher. You can swipe back and forth with three fingers to, to move between apps from latest to oldest. Um, you can uh, hover with the cursor, swipe down on the home indicator to show the dock. You can uh, sort of slide the, slide the pointer onto the right side, uh, the right edge of the display to invoke slide over. And if you hover over a slide over window, you can then also use three finger swipe gestures to, uh, to switch between sl multiple slide over apps, which is a new feature of iPadOS 13. You can also slide the pointer on the, the upper right corner of the display to open control center or the upper left corner to open notification center. You can dismiss all of, uh, you know, you can dismiss uh, the notifications with another swipe up to go back home. All these gestures are extremely fluid and so natural, like especially if you're used to, like if you're used to a magic trackpad on the Mac, it takes like two minutes to get used to this new, to navigating the iPadOS UI using a trackpad. It is, it is so natural, and, and this is a point that I actually make in my story. It is so natural that it almost feels like it's been part of the iPad UI, iPadOS UI forever. Like, it doesn't feel like an addition that has been tacked on to iPadOS. It just feels extremely well integrated. And when you combine these gestures with the pointer and the fact that you, the pointer can control everything and can hover over buttons and, and select text with precision and uh, quickly snap to even small UI elements, right? Like the split view separator, for example. The pointer can easily snap onto that to let you uh, resize a split view, for example. Combine all these things together and, and using an iPad Pro at a desk with a trackpad and maybe potentially even an external display, it becomes so much more powerful and so much faster and, and comparable to a Mac even. It is like the diff if you try to do this stuff before, right? If you try to do this with a mouse and accessibility and maybe an external display last year and you were not satisfied with the kind of experience that it was, this is like night and day. This is the kind of native pointer integration that we were all hoping that Apple would ship in iOS 
uh, iPadOS 14, but it's actually available now. And last point that I'm going to make. There is an extensive API for third-party developers to take advantage of all these new pointer features. And we've already started to see some really interesting implementations of it. Um, There's an upcoming update uh, to Fantastical for iPad that I think it's coming up very soon. If it's not out yet, it's coming very soon. That has extensive pointer integration. You will be able to hover over every single element of the app, basically. Like you can hover over events and tasks in the calendar. You can switch between views. You can hover over the weather forecast icons. But even more impressively, you you can use the pointer to hover over individual days in the mini calendar. And when you do, there's this beautiful animation that shows you the selected day in the mini calendar. And if you swipe quickly, it becomes like this checkerboard pattern. It's really beautiful to see. And it just, it feels like using a Mac app, but in the context of an iPad. And it doesn't feel weird. It just feels natural. Um, There's also an upcoming update to IA Writer that I've been testing. It's in test flight. And I think it's coming out also very soon that if you have a multi-touch trackpad, it lets you swipe with two fingers. And this may seem like a, like a tiny, small thing, but it makes a world of difference to me. You can swipe with two fingers horizontally to show and hide the document library. And it's so much better if you want to either, either edit in full screen or switch to a different document than having to reach out to the upper corner of the title bar and tap the back button. It's so much faster now. You can just swipe, show documents, and click on another one. Um, Screens by Adobe, the VNC client that lets you connect to a Mac or PC, also has already, because it's been, what, like a week? And it already has extensive trackpad and pointer integration. Now, if you have a trackpad or mouse connected to your iPad, the pointer will be hidden by default in screens, but you will still be able to control the, the cursor of a connected computer. So you will not see, like, you will not see two pointers. You will not see the iPad OS pointer, but if you move your mouse or you move your, the finger on your trackpad, you will see the pointer of macOS or Windows move. It's like, it, it's so natural. Uh, and especially if you consider how screens can uh, output a full screen image to an external display. It's just beautiful. It's like using macOS as an app. It's it's wild. Um, and we've also seen a bunch of other developers, right, uh, ship basic support for the pointer so that you can select uh, like different tabs or click on different buttons or, hub, for example, in Music Harbor, which is this music, music utility that I, that I really like, uh, you can hover over uh, artists in the artist view. And when you do, you get this highlight uh, to, to indicate the selection. I have total faith in the fact that developers will come up with some super fascinating implementations of the pointer. But what I'm going to say to wrap things up for now is this. Again, this is completely different from the previous accessibility, assistive touch, um, sort of workarounds that people were using last year. This is the real thing. It's incredibly well integrated with the iPadOS UI. It doesn't feel like 
it's 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 this kind of weird addition. It feels like a native component of the iPad's interface. And even without having to wait for a magic keyboard, if you have a magic trackpad 2 right now, you can take full advantage of all the features. And the trackpad is large and comfortable. And again, as I mentioned, I've been using it even when I'm using the iPad Pro with, the, with my smart keyboard. Usually I would touch the display, but since the 13.4 came out, I've been using the trackpad even when I'm not using an external uh, monitor. And it's beautiful. Uh, of course, I'm looking forward to the Magic Keyboard myself because that will have an integrated, smaller, but built-in trackpad. And I absolutely cannot wait to see what it's like. But given what I've seen so far with the trackpad, it is just fantastic. If you want to use an iPad Pro at a desk and you don't want to reach out to touch the screen every single time, this is just amazing. I'm I'm just astounded that Apple's been able to, like you said, build something that is totally new and totally different to the iPad and iPad OS and yet make it seem so natural. And yep. and I think about just things that have been built before this. So you mentioned how you can right click and have a context menu immediately pop up and it feels so natural. Well, context menus came last year in iPad OS 13. And they were a great addition. You know, you and I both use them a lot. And yet we had no idea that there was this huge new use case mm. for them coming just a year later. And even things like, I was thinking about when the Magic Keyboard was announced, just the unique design where the iPad is kind of floating above the keyboard thanks to the magnets. And it reminded me of when Apple changed the smart connector in 2018 on the iPad Pro when they added all these magnets in, um, I know MKBHD, the YouTuber, he kind of got some special paper that revealed all the different magnets in the device. It just makes me think like how far back Apple has been planning something like this, something like the Magic Keyboard with a trackpad and that it's unique design, you know, something like proper mouse and trackpad support. It takes a long time to get these things right for sure. And it's just amazing that it's it's very possible that this has been in the works for two plus years, you know, and and we had no idea. And yet this is what Apple's been building towards. And, you know, it makes me wonder what's next and, and where the iPad can go from here. And uh, we're actually going to have a, a story related to that on Mac Stories this week as part of our iPad at 10 celebration. But but it's just it, it's great to see such commitment from Apple to the iPad because we've talked about it before, but for a while there, the iPad was kind of neglected. The iPhone got a lot of the focus and things have changed so much in the last few years, especially since the iPad Pro first came out. And it's encouraging to see as someone who loves the iPad. So it's, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like I said, uh, it just feels like it's been here forever. Like it, it really took me like less than, less than 10 minutes to understand all the gestures and be like, yeah, this makes total sense. So uh, I will have much, much, much more to share uh, with photos and, and examples and deeper explanations in the story that I'm working on. All right. Well, we'll look for that very soon. 
There is more, believe it or not, from iPadOS 13.4 that we need to talk about as relates to your challenge. Mm-hmm. But first, let me thank a sponsor. Uh, this episode of Adapt is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content or how effective your marketing, they'll most likely bounce if your website is loading too slow. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experience, so you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, device, and platform they use. So you want to identify how visitors are experiencing your website so that you can make informed optimizations, delivering a great performance to those who matter most. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability, meaning that you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code ADAPT at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM with the code ADAPT to get 30% off. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. Okay, so mm. last time that we talked, all that we knew that iPadOS 13.4 was going to bring for the iPad was some keyboard changes. And there are several keyboard changes. There's some good stuff in there, um, especially for what it enables developers to do with uh, advanced keyboard shortcuts. But one of the features is an accessibility option called full keyboard access, Hmm. which anyone today can turn on on their iPad to navigate the entire UI, everything in the system, entirely from the keyboard. Um, this is, like I said, an accessibility option. And so it if you think about the difference between the pointer support that Apple added last year in iPadOS and then the full-fledged mouse and trackpad support that's there in 13.4, that, that's kind of something to keep in mind in terms of who this feature, full keyboard access, is built for. It's not built for just anyone to use. It's not a you know, mass market option. It, it, it does work in some strange ways or some ways that aren't ideal for everyday use, but it can be great for a particular uh, need of a certain user. But what's interested me about this feature and kind of why I wanted to hear your experience using it is that it could be laying the groundwork similar to last year's trackpad support and accessibility it could be laying the groundwork for something better in the future that is for the average user in terms of keyboard support so i challenge you to use full keyboard access on your ipad for at least an hour play around with it see how it goes so what was this experience like for you and then how do you think apple may use or adapt some of what they've already done in this accessibility feature for improved keyboard support on the iPad in the future for all users. Hmm. Well, I think 
this is very much an accessibility feature. Uh, and it's, it's not designed for people like me who do not require the help of an accessibility option. And I think that's totally fair. It's exactly what I said last year when, when Assistive Touch gained the option for pointing devices via USB and Bluetooth. I understand that Apple's priority was to enable the accessibility community to have an extra option. And I think it's totally fine and totally fair if folks who do not require accessibility try these features and then realize, oh, these are not for me. Because that's exactly the point. They are part of the accessibility framework. They're not designed for power users who like to fiddle around with settings and keyboard shortcuts and all that kind of stuff. They can These features can often be, because they are so inclusive, right? They can often be used by folks like me who like to tinker and use keyboards and use pointing devices, but they are very much designed for a different purpose in mind. In this case... The full keyboard access, I originally tried it in the, I believe in beta 1 or beta 2 of 13.4. I didn't like it, I disabled it, and when you challenged me to try it again, I figured, why not? Let's see if it improved, let's see if I can actually use it this time. Now, again, as you mentioned, this is an accessibility feature that lets you navigate iPadOS, basically the full interface of iPadOS without, just with a keyboard, without having to use touch, without having to use a pointing device. Uh, the full keyboard access largely revolves around this custom accessibility-specific keyboard shortcuts. And most of them are based on the tab key. So you need to press tab on your keyboard and something else. Most of these combinations have the tab key in them. And in addition to these, again, specific keyboard shortcuts, you also, have these, you also have this highlight tool. It's like a blue rectangle that cycles through different parts of the iPadOS UI to show you what's been selected. And once you've, make a, once you've made the selection, you can press like the space bar, for example, to activate it. If you've ever played around with other accessibility features, I believe it's kind of similar to VoiceOver and how you have this selection tool that lets you move across different UI elements. And then in the case of VoiceOver, it speaks, right, the content that's being selected. In this case, it highlights the content that's being selected and then it lets you interact with it. Um, and to do this, uh, the accessibility framework can in sort of like intelligently break down an app's interface into multiple components automatically. It's all down to UIKit and the way that UIKit like splits title bars and top bars and individual individual buttons in a, in a title bar, for example, or a toolbar. Like that's exactly when we say like this developer has made the app accessible. That's a, that's exactly what we mean. Like to to build interfaces in a way that features like full keyboard access and voiceover can actually interact with them. Now, the, as I mentioned, these shortcuts that you use for full keyboard access are different from what you, you, you would usually see, like, for example, on the Mac, like to navigate and switch between apps and make selections on the Mac. These are totally different, 
and they are specific to accessibility and they need to be this different and this specific because they cannot conflict with other shortcuts. The problem is that for somebody who doesn't, who's not used to the way that interfaces can be controlled via accessibility, I really struggled to get used to these keyboard shortcuts. And I really struggled to reconcile the fact that my brain was thinking of full keyboard navigation the way that it, that, that it usually works on the Mac and the way that it works with full keyboard access via accessibility. The keyboard shortcuts are weird, right? They're weird, not, and I don't mean that in a, in a like negative connotation. They're just weird for me because I'm not used to them. Um, like this like tab B, for example. You need to press tab B if you want to go back. You need to press tab H if you want to show the, the help palette in the middle of the screen that shows you all the keyboard shortcuts. And you can use the arrow keys but you can also use the space bar to activate certain features. It's, it's very strange. It's a very strange interaction. And it's also kind of slow. Like you need to, you cycle, right, through multiple UI elements, sometimes like in a clockwise order, other times based on the horizontal level. Again, very strange, very unusual totally unlike keyboard navigation on a Mac. It's not so much that it's based on keyboard shortcuts, it's more that it's based on keyboard shortcuts to activate the selection methods and then more shortcuts to navigate across these selections. Again, you see this blue rectangle that moves around the screen? It is very different. It's very different from using the Mac. It's very different from just using keyboard shortcuts. It's sort of like its own language in a way, like it, it, it is its own interaction system. And I'm not used to it. And I really try to get used to it. Like you told me to test it for an hour. And like I was accidentally selecting things. And when I was like, in, uh, sometimes when I'm writing JavaScript code, for example, I need to press the tab key. And when I was pressing the tab key in the, in the code editor, I would trigger full keyboard access accidentally and I would cycle through different UI elements and like select the back button, for example, and I didn't want that. Um, and so I thought, well, I can be clever, right? I, ca I can figure out a solution to make this work for me. And in fact, if you go to the full keyboard access panel in, in the accessibility settings, you can remove keyboard shortcuts. And so I thought, what if I clear all the keyboard shortcuts, like this weird tab stuff. I don't wanna. I don't want these tab-based shortcuts to, you know, be available to me. I don't need them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to use the trackpad, and then I will use full keyboard access to trigger a secondary option that is, in theory, pretty amazing. You can assign arbitrary keyboard shortcuts to any shortcut from the shortcuts app. So you can come up with your own hotkey to run any shortcut from the shortcuts app anywhere on the system. And I thought, well, this is amazing, right? I can make my own keyboard shortcuts to trigger a specific shortcut no matter where I am in the iPadOS UI. And so I thought, this is my plan. I'm going to clear all the defaults, all the default shortcuts of full keyboard access, and I will make my own keyboard shortcuts, right? 
Except it didn't work <laughs> because what I tried to assign a couple, like a, actually more than a couple, a bunch of different keyboard shortcuts to individual shortcuts. And when I and I kept pressing them and nothing happened. So I think the feature is there, but it's not working. I don't think it's hooked up right at the moment. It's just doing nothing. Like it's sort of similar to how last year in assistive touch you could uh, assign mouse buttons to specific shortcuts, except that was working for me. This one is not. So uh, my full keyboard access experiment, it failed miserably, and I had the same difficulties that I had in the first beta of, of 13.4, and when I tried to be clever around it and complete my challenge in a slightly different way, it all, the system also failed me because the shortcuts were not actually running. Like, I have a few keyboard shortcuts, and when I press them, and I try to press them in a bunch of different ways, right? I tried all keys at once, or maybe one key after the other, or and then I tried first the modifier keys, like command, shift, option, and then the letter. But none of my activation methods worked. And so even when I tried to be clever around it, it, it failed me. And again, it's totally... Fine, and I'm not complaining because I know that I'm not the target user for this specific feature. But in the, you know, for the purpose of this challenge, Ryan, I'm sad to report that I didn't even last 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Okay, well, that's too bad. I-, I wasn't expecting you to come out and say, "Oh yes, this has revolutionized the way I use my iPad, and I'm going to leave mm. it on all the time." It-, it was mainly for the sake of learning and kind of understanding how this works, honestly, so that it maybe could give some, you know, insight into how a future better keyboard shortcut system on the iPad could work. And maybe that's through knowing what it shouldn't be like. Um, you, You made the comparison between how full keyboard access works and then how, you know, standard keyboard control on the Mac works. It, is that kind of, as you think about what you want from the iPad in the future, or not an accessibility feature, but a standard just system feature, are you thinking of you know something that's very Mac-like, or is there something else that you have in mind for how Apple could kind of build something that's more tailored specifically to the iPad, kind of like they've done with the mouse and trackpad support? Yeah, I think the the if they do this right, um, they should have like a similar system to to the to the uh, um, magnetic pointer of the trackpad like uh, it, it should be easier to select the UI element that you want to select maybe they should have keyboard shortcuts that let you like like let's say that you're in a sidebar and you want to you want to jump from the sidebar to an element on the right side of the screen maybe there should be like keyboard modifiers that say switch out from the sidebar and actually select content on the right side of the window like it should be an easier system that lets you select different buttons with the same highlight tool of the pointer but also as a common like common keyboard shortcuts like on the mac you have like command arrow keys 
to like jump to the end or to the beginning of something. And maybe there should be like a more consistent set of keyboard shortcuts to do the same in the iPad UI. I think this is also a very difficult problem to solve because navigating a UI with a keyboard is in itself a challenge because it's such an abstract system and interaction. Like with the fingers, you're using touch and you're touching the UI. With the pointer, you have this layer of, a, of, a, of a, a abstraction between the user and the UI, but you still have a visual element. With a keyboard, you have no, almost no visual affordance that tells you, well, here's what gonna, what's going to happen when you press these keys. So the accessibility feature right now, I think if you're used to voiceover, if you're used to how like all these accessibility options work, I think you can totally make it work for you. But I think for a more mainstream audience, I will look at what developers like um, Culture Code have done with things or what the folks at Agenda have done in terms of keyboard navigation. There is a way to make it faster and make it more natural. Like use the return key to and to like enter edit mode, but also confirm your changes and use the ask key to exit out, right? Of of editing mode, like all those like common keyboard shortcuts. I think it should be based around that system. And it should be easier to highlight different parts of the UI. It should be faster and more intuitive. I don't know how, but I will look at those examples and maybe build from there. All right. Well, we have some asked adapt questions to talk about, but first let me thank another sponsor. Uh, this episode of Adapt is also brought to you by Sanebox. Getting your inbox to zero is almost impossible these days. We all get a lot of email, and sometimes the important stuff, the emails that really matter, can get lost. And that is where Sanebox comes in. As messages arrive in your inbox, Sanebox will triage them for you, sorting the important emails separate from the noise. It will put what matters in your inbox, and then all the distracting stuff can go in your Sane Later folder, which lets you deal with what's important right now, then review everything else whenever it suits you. Sanebox also has nifty features like the Sane Black Hole, where you can drag messages from annoying senders that you never want to hear from again, or Sane Reminders to notify you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. Best of all, you can use Sanebox with any email client or device. It will work wherever you check your email. See how Sanebox can work its magic to remove distractions from your inbox by getting a free two-week trial right now. Visit sanebox.com adapt today to start your free trial, and you'll also get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X, sanebox.com adapt for a free trial with a $25 credit. Our thanks to Sanebox for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, we've got several questions to get to today. Uh, as a reminder to listeners, you can write in with the hashtag AskAdapt so that we will see your iPad-related question and we may be able to answer it on a future episode. Our first question today comes from Kanami, who asks, I'd love to know what is the best web conferencing for iPadOS? Can you share your iPad screen through Zoom, WebEx, Hangouts, etc.? Do they support multiple monitors? 
So I actually wrote about this for Club Mac Stories members this week, and it wasn't a very positive article that I wrote. <laughs> um, so the gist of it is that using your iPad for web conferencing is not nearly as good as using a Mac. Mm. And it is honestly the task in my five years of using an iPad full-time as my main computer is the task that has me most wanting a Mac. Um, so there are you know, certain features with certain providers, um, and some of them work in strange ways. So for example, with Hangouts, uh, you can share your screen, and it, it uses kind of the system screen recording functionality to do that and to broadcast that, you know, whatever's on your screen to other people on the call. But while you're doing that, you can't also, you know, have your camera view up, which normally you can do on a Mac. You could let people see your camera view and see what's on your screen, but you can't do that with the iPad. Um, in Zoom, which is proving extremely popular right now for businesses and education and other things, um, with Zoom, it's really strange the way it works. You, you can share your screen, but you have to do it before you actually start a call. You can't do it from within a call, which I don't understand. Um, WebEx, I haven't tested yet uh, as far as screen sharing, but with all of these, the main reason why using um, different video conferencing software on the iPad is not great is because of different system limitations that Apple has in place. So one of the major, you know, Problem still on iPadOS is that background app activity is extremely limited. And so you can't use, for example, um, a video feed in a call while using a different app. So you can't put, let's say, Zoom or Hangouts into a split view with another app and have your camera feed still running. If you Put another app on screen, whether it's in SlideOver for the apps that don't support split view or for the apps that do, having an app next to whatever your video conferencing app is, it immediately cuts out the video feed because iPadOS doesn't support using the camera while in split view. You have to have an app in full screen, which is just not a good experience because for me, with the iPad being my main computer, what it means is if I'm going to do a video call with someone, I can't use my iPad for anything else at all. Can't have any other apps on screen. I can't multitask. If I if I close, you know, Zoom for example, um, the audio part of the call can continue operating in the background, but the video is cut out. So it's just not a good experience. Um, and then, you know. The one app that I've used that does let you multitask is FaceTime, which it does that because it supports picture-in-picture. Picture. So if you close out the app, then you can you know, have a little picture-in-picture picture window while doing other things on your iPad. No other video conferencing app that I've tried supports that. And I don't know if that's because the APIs aren't available to developers. I don't know if that's because you know the different backends that are running these uh, web services just really aren't compatible with um, with picture in picture. I don't know why it's not there. I just know that it's not. And so, 
there's really not a best web conferencing for iPadOS. Um, I've even tried you know, using Safari with Google Hangouts, for example, and running the call that way or with Zoom. And you can do that, but I've had connection issues where for some reason um, using the you know Hangouts Meet app works really well as far as the connection and being able to see other people and and not have you know issues with lag or anything like that. Um, for some reason in the web version, in a similar kind of the same type meeting with the same number of participants, uh, it was really having a hard time keeping up and it just, I, I wasn't able to hear everyone. Their videos were f- freezing up regularly and I'm not sure why that is, but so it's not great in the web either, even though in some cases you can do it through the web. So uh, if you can avoid web conferencing on the iPad, I would avoid it. Um, if you can't, what I'm doing, honestly, because I have a lot of uh, video meetings these days, is just using my iPhone primarily as the video conferencing tool so that I can still use my iPad for other things. Uh, next question comes from Josh. Uh, Josh says, I have an old iPad that my young son plays with. Is there a way to limit the volume globally in the system? Um, hmm. So it sounds like there are several, he says there are several kids apps that don't respect the normal kind of volume limit or volume level. Um, Federico, do you have any ideas to give to Josh? I really have no idea. I've never heard of anything like this. I was thinking that maybe... Uh, in education contexts, like if you if you're a teacher and you want to deploy multiple iPads to students, maybe in tools like Apple Configurator, you probably have some way to say the you know the student cannot change the volume level, or maybe this is the default volume level. I don't think you want to go down that route for a personal iPad. And again, I don't even know if it's actually possible. I was only aware of the volume limit in, in the music settings, but that's all that I've ever seen, I think, in the in the in the iPads um settings app. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything in accessibility. I kind of look through there to see if there's an option. Um so yeah, sometimes if, if an app is being extremely loud for some reason, it sounds like there's not a lot that can be done. Uh next, Devin asks, are there any good iPadOS board games with online multiplayer to play with friends during quarantine? Uh, yes, there are. I have mentioned a of few. Of course you know the answer to this. <laughs> yeah, this, this is a question for me. Um, there are, I've mentioned a few uh, iPadOS board game apps in the past, um, but I kind of went through a list of some of my favorites to see which of them support online play specifically because I don't normally do online play. Usually it's just my wife and I that'll play locally. We do that. But um, there are a few I want to recommend. One is called Mystic Veil. Uh, Mystic Veil is a um, a deck building card game where you are using the cards you have to buy new cards that get added onto your existing cards to make them more powerful. Uh, it's, it's pretty fun. Uh, Potion Explosion is another one. Uh, Potion Explosion has an interesting origin in that uh, the the physical board game was inspired by the app Candy Crush. And so they, they took the concept of Candy Crush, kind of turned it into this 
board game, and then the board game turned right back into a game uh, as an app. But it's a fun one to try out. Potion Explosion. Uh, Ticket to Ride is another one that supports online play. Uh, it's one of the more popular board games these days, so you may have heard of it. Uh, definitely recommend Ticket to Ride. Another one is called Exploding Kittens, which um, I apologize to cat lovers. Um, I like cats too, but the game is called Exploding Kittens. It's a really fun card game, very simple, uh, and it supports online play. So those are a few titles that I would check out, Devin. One more question for today. Tim asks, I'm always trying to find the best method to sync files on my iPad in a reliable way. Dropbox seems to get stuck and you can't view synced Dropbox files through the files app when offline. I'm hoping the pin feature from iCloud Drive will solve this. Other ideas. Mm. Well, that pinning feature is nowhere to be found, unfortunately. No, uh, it, it hasn't come back. Exactly. It was in the iPadOS 13 betas. They took it out alongside taking out iCloud folder sharing. But now folder sharing is back in 13.4, but there's no pinning. So yeah, this, this is definitely one of the problems with the Files app on the iPad. Uh, any suggestions, Federico? Uh, I don't really have any. I also have uh, all the issues that Tim mentions with Dropbox. I don't use any other cloud services. Um, the idea of a third-party Dropbox client... I don't think it's possible anymore. It used to be a thing many, many years ago, but now you don't hear about third-party Dropbox clients anymore. Uh, I just use iCloud Drive, and if I want to make sure that a file is always with me, I move it from iCloud Drive to local storage. Unfortunately, yeah. that's all that I can recommend right now. That's exactly what I do as well. So. All right. Well, we need to wrap up, but mm. I believe you have a challenge you'd like to I assign to me. have a challenge for you. Yes, I do. So uh, we all have plenty, unfortunately, plenty of time to spend at home. And we have time for, you know, many of us have time for creative projects right now. So I thought, why don't I give Ryan a challenge that maybe gives him an opportunity to flex his creative muscles, so to speak? So I saw that today on the App Store, there's a major update to the iWork suite of apps. But specifically, Ryan, I would like you to put together a short presentation using Keynote and some of the new features in the Keynote update. There's a support for, there's new themes, I believe new templates. There's support for drop caps to make your, your text really stand out. So pick a fun topic, and it doesn't have to be a long presentation, like, I don't know, three slides, like something super short. But to, you know, to play around with it, tell me what you think of Keynote and see what the final result looks like. And if you can, play around with some of the new features in the, in the new version of the app. All right, I will do that. I will get to creating presentations. Uh-huh. All right, well, that does it for today. This has been episode 22 of Adapt. I'd like to thank our sponsors for this episode, Kingdom and Sanebox. If you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can go to our website, relay.fm slash adapt slash 22. And to follow us online, Federico is on Instagram and Twitter as at Vitici. That's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And you can find me on Twitter as at iRyan, T-L-D-R. That's I-R-Y-A-N, T-L-D-R. And you'll find both of us writing at maxstories.net, including all of the special iPad at 10 stories that we are publishing this week. So be sure to check those out. 
Until next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Bye.